0: My heart broke as I talked to a friend who attends the orchard here. You see, her daughter Sadie was only two years old when she was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, my my two-year-old, when she was running around the yard, Sadie was hooked up to machines, getting chemotherapy. I mean, can you imagine being Sadie's mother or father and and sitting next to your child as as you watch them go through all this from that young age? And truly, it was uncertain if Sadie would, would make it at all, but, but Sadie's a fighter and make it, she did. She made it through. Now she's in remission and she's gonna continue to do chemo until the summer of, two, of 2021. Two and a half years of chemotherapy. You can imagine what that's done to her immune system. She's a fighter, but her, her immune system is fragile. Sadie's mom took her on a hike a few weeks ago get out of the house, get some exercise, and Sadie wears a mask, not because of COVID. They're halfway through their hike, and they they pass some other hikers on the trail, And, and the other hikers started commenting on the mask. One of them actually went out of his way to yell at Sadie and her mom. He let them know just how foolish they were for what they were wearing. He went on, I mean, this man yelled at Sadie's mother, who had braved many nights there in the children's hospital, holding her daughter's hand as she fought for her life. And this man let her know just how big of a coward that he he thought she was. Now you may hear this story and and believe I'm about to actually make a point about masks or COVID, but but you'd be wrong. Here's the truth. Today's sermon has zero to do with those things. I, I honestly, I don't even know the truth on those things. Today Paul's brings something else to light. And today's sermon challenged me and I'm praying it's gonna challenge you. Because regardless of what you believe about what's happening in our nation right now, God's word is crystal clear on how we're to live and more importantly, how we're to treat other people who have a different opinion than our own. Because see, whether, whether Sadie or her mom or even the other hikers choose to wear a mask, that's not in the Bible. But how we treat people who have a different opinion than we do, well, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And we're going to find a lot of it here for ourselves today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul's been talking. We've been going through these first three chapters, and here we are. He starts right in on verse 1, chapter 4. He says, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I mean, Paul right here changes his tone completely and his direction, and he uses this connecting word, therefore. And whenever in the Bible it says, therefore, you need to stop and find what it's there for. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we just went over them. Paul says, therefore, based on what we've just read here's what we should do. Do you remember Ephesians 1 through 3? Of course you do, you never forget my sermons. He said this, remember all the the promises we have in Jesus from Ephesians 1, all those many promises? Remember we learned we have the same access to the power, we have the same power within us that, that raised Jesus from the dead. We learned that God destroyed any barrier of race to give us all access to Jesus. Ephesians 3, we ended that with Paul praying that we would grasp and experience this unconditional, amazing love of Jesus. Remember that? So bottom line, in Christ, we have access to a new family, a new purpose, a new new love, and an unrivaled power. And in light of all of that that we've covered, he now says, Therefore, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Because of all the love that's been poured into your life from the Father in the first three chapters. Because of all the sacrifice on the cross of Jesus in the first three chapters. Because of all the power that is now available to you by the Holy Spirit talked about in the first three chapters. Therefore, now you go and you live a life worthy of the calling, worthy of the work that was done to save you and give you a new life. Because all that God has done for you, Paul says, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, the word for calling here is an important one. Calling, it's an invitation. It's a call, it's an invite to a new way of living. And the Greek word here in the Bible for calling is pretty astounding. It's pronounced klesis. But in looking at this word deeper, you see that it comes from this root word, kaleo, which means to call. But kaleo is is, is this like the root of a vast network of of different powerful New Testament words. The word called kaleo, this has at least 10 other words derived from it that I counted. Words like ecclesia have the same root. Ecclesia is, is, is a word for church. You know, it's the place where we come on Sunday mornings, or we used to come on Sunday mornings. But Ecclesia doesn't mean, hey, come in or, or come to. Ecclesia has this root in it that means called out from. Orchard, people have been filling my inbox with messages that we need to get in the building when the very root of our identity comes from this word that means called out of the building and into a world that needs Jesus. Another word rooted in kaleo is paraclete, which is a name given to the the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It's the one who who comes beside us, who is our spiritual legal advocate, who with divine judgment makes the right call to call us kaleo. Just two examples of of this powerful depth and this idea that the Bible has about what it means to be called to, called out, called into. The Bible talks about calling a lot. Calling is is a vast and vital topic throughout. Calling is something from heaven to you. Now, we are not to take our calling lightly, Paul says here. and He makes it very clear to remind us that we're to live our entire life, every moment in view of this calling we've received. So, Orcher, the question is, what, what are you called to? You may have asked this at some point in the past. You may be asking it now. Have you ever stopped to consider that heaven has a calling on your life? Ever wonder what God's calling is for you? I guess when you did, like like me, you probably thought of a job or a career or maybe a calling to a different country or, or who knows what else, something you would do. Calling is a weighty subject. And throughout my life, I have wrestled with this topic. You see, from a young age, I always felt a call of God on my life, on my soul to follow Him, to go do something, whatever He would ask. But my understanding of calling, it has changed drastically over the past years and past decades of my life. When I was 18, I knew that I was called by God to, to I felt called to go to ministry, to go, to go be a pastor somewhere. Somehow I viewed, I viewed God's calling as an archery target. Like you know, a target where there's the, the bullseye right in the middle. God, that was God's calling. That bullseye, that was God's calling. And if I deviated away from that area, I was outside of God's call for my life. That's a terrifying thought, to be out of God's call. So for me, picking what college to go to, if I pick the wrong one, I'm, I'm off the bullseye. I'm out of God's calling. What if I majored in the wrong subject? Oh, no, the calling of God, I missed it. What if I, I dated that? What if I married the wrong girl? Oh, my entire calling's gone. But even more scary, I, th- I used to think about this. What if the girl I was called to marry, what if she, after, you know, after a bad year, married somebody else? Then my whole life is ruined by her missing out on the calling. I mean, it, it, this, my whole life, I was just terrified of being outside of God's call of my life. And so that's a lot of spiritual stress for a teenager, 19-year-old, which is why when I was uh, 20 and asked to leave my Bible college, because of fraternity pranks that I was a part of, uh, I felt like the bottom of my life had just fallen out. Like the, the bullseye was now missing. I, there's no way I'm hitting that. I, I was supposed to graduate from Bible college. I was supposed to go to seminary and, and marry one of those girls and then have the right amount of kids and then, and then work at a church and work my way up to a big church. And now here I am, 20 years old, kicked out of Bible college and living in my parents' house. I don't know much about calling, but at that time, waking up in the same bedroom as I had in my high school days, the target of God's calling was gone. I decided to take a shot in the dark and and, and join this ministry in Atlanta, this, this youth ministry organization. I'd never been to Georgia. I'd only been to like four local states here in our area. I'd never even seen the ocean yet. I needed, But I needed a church in Atlanta to hire me for this internship to start. I, I, I needed to be a youth pastor to join this organization. And so this organization, they set me up with some interviews with different churches of different sizes, and and one by one, each church turned me down. I remember the last one, it was a church who had, at most, they said, six students, like this many youth. and And based on my Bible college resume and my lack of experience, I was disqualified from being the youth pastor of this many youth, the tiniest church I can imagine. And talk about being out of God's call. I mean, I, I, I obviously missed it. I'm obviously done. One of the men in the youth organization, he said, listen, um, I don't know if it was pity or kindness, but he said, you can come be our intern, but we just can't pay you. So I packed up and I moved to Georgia and I was at a church that was smaller than the orchard, but I was there. I felt like I was out of God's calling, but, but maybe if I would just do good enough, I could claw my way back to, to something. Well, God did something over the next 10 years of my life that, that forever have marked me and changed me. That internship turned into a full-time pastoring job. And then that little church of of three hundred doubled, and then it tripled, and then it went to a thousand, and then five thousand, and then over ten thousand. I mean, at one point I'm like, I'm back, baby, I'm back. Ah! Oh. In fact, at one, at one point the lead pastor in a conversation, he told me, he he said he said someday you'll be able you'll you'll have my job. someday you'll do this. I mean, right then and there I was like, bullseye acquired. I'm back on. God's calling is ahead of me. And then. Due to some tragic choices by other people, I resigned. I left it all. I got a job at a martial arts dojo managing these combat gyms, and I was training jujitsu every day. I I, I wore pajamas, a gi, to work. and I got to work one day early, and uh, I was mopping up the mat when I looked up at the big mirrors in the dojo, and I saw myself there holding a mop. And it hit me at that moment. It was a year to the very day that I had last preached on stage at that megachurch. A year ago that day, my audience was multiple thousands. And there I was with a mop and a mirror as my audience, my own self staring back at me. And at that moment, once again, I just gave up on the bullseye of God's call. Obviously, I had missed it once again. If there was a calling on my life from my youth, I had lost the trail and I was far from the path. That season of of my life, during that time, all thoughts of God's calling upon my life died. But all those successes, all those failures, all those summit moments and all those valley tears. They, they brought me to something that I can stand on fully today. They taught me something about calling. They taught me something about calling that we've, we find here in Ephesians 4 with a new lens. Because, because you see, I used to think calling was about what I was gonna do. But calling is not about what I do. It's about who I'm becoming. As many preachers have said before me, Calling has more to do with who than do. Calling is about who I am, who I'm becoming, who he is, not about what I'm doing. You, like me, may have at one point in the past or even now, believe that you need to find God's calling for what you should do. God, God, what should I do? What's your calling? What's your will? What's your purpose? career is a do job is a do any number of skills or activities all a do but what has become a glorious apparently a reality to me is that god's calling on my life it's on my inner spirit my inner core that deepest part of me my identity my being that's where his calling is it's on who i am not what i'm doing it's not, God's calling is on what title I have currently. God's calling is not on the numbers that are on my paycheck. God's calling is not on the, the size of my success or the, the, the volume of the applause or, or the job. Jesus didn't die and send his spirit so, so I could aim for the bullseye of a career and navigate college, marry the white right girl and then get the right job. He died so that regardless of where I am, or what I'm doing for work, that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus at every step. I'm called to become like Jesus. It's about who. It's not about what I do. And, and I wish i would let you know, you have a divine, heavenly calling on your life. Did you know that no matter, your, no matter what your past mistakes are, did you know no matter what your current condition is, that God has a divine calling for you today, now? Did you know that you can say yes during this sermon to a heavenly calling and leave it on God's purposes, in God's calling, regardless of what you're doing in life? regardless of how you found the sermon or it found you, you qualify to step into God's calling today without cleaning up, without change I mean, without like trying to find a new job, without any of that, because it's about who, and you can begin that today. God is more interested in who you are becoming than the title of your job. In fact, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, whatever your job, work at it, with all your heart for Jesus, whatever you do, whatever you're doing, work at it with all your heart for Jesus. May, it's like this, whatever you do, may the who shine through. And that is so rhymy. That's either Dr. Seuss or God's inspiration, but, but it's more important of who we are than what we're doing for a job or a title. And now, in, in the following verse, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's going to deliver a glimpse of what this calling looks like. He doesn't just tell us that we're called. He's going to talk to us about what it is. And again, it's about who we be and how who we're becoming like. He says this, as a, Therefore, as a prisoner of, of the, for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. And so now he tells us how to live a life worthy of this calling from heaven. He says, first of all, be humble. Now, we hear this word humble and we, and we, we have certain ideas about it, but humility, it doesn't mean to view oneself as lowly. Like, humi- humility isn't telling other people just how low you are or, or thinking so much less of yourself. In fact, humility is seeing oneself correctly. Humility is is, is radical self-awareness. It's seeing yourself with your strengths and your weaknesses, the good and the bad, all those things. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often. Humility is seeing yourself the way God sees you. That's the bottom line. If you're spiritually walking around just feeling shameful and ugly and broken, that's not humility. Just like walking around being prideful and conceited isn't humility. Neither one of those sides are humility. Humility is seeing yourself as God sees you, as you are. This is important. In order to live a life worthy of our calling, we we can't view ourselves like a a lowly worm, but we can't view ourselves filled with so much pride either. Both of those pathways will take you out of calling. Instead, we see each other. We see ourselves how God sees us because the truth is you have incredible worth to him. It's so much worth he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And yes, you struggle with sin. You struggle with vice even, but you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by the work of Jesus. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by what Jesus has done with it. You can view yourself as a beloved daughter, beloved son, empowered by the Holy Spirit to increasingly live free of your sin. Live a life increasingly marked with love. The second word he mentions here is gentleness. Uh, but gentleness is another word. It doesn't mean soft or weak. In fact, here's the truth of gentleness. Only powerful people need gentleness. Like if I'm holding a toddler, I need to be gentle. But if a little toddler goes and picks up a baby chick, what do the parents immediately say? Be gentle. (laughs) Now, a toddler isn't all that powerful, but compared to a baby chick, the toddler's a, a giant. Gentleness is something that truly loves and cares for the other based on where they are. Gentleness sees where other people are vulnerable and adjusts itself on their behalf out of love. Gentleness doesn't tell the vulnerable people, suck it up. That's your issue. That's your issue to deal with. Gentleness takes into account their heart, their woundedness, their past, their health, and it tempers your own power so that you don't wound them. Gentleness is not a doormat, but gentleness will keep you from treating others like a doormat. Jesus, I mean, he was so powerful, all power at his disposal. He could have accomplished anything in his humility and in his, in his gentleness. He chose to temper his divine power and live in the body of a human. And these words of Philippians 2, it speaks to this. It speaks to Christ's humility and his gentleness and how we should strive to be like, like him. It says in verse 5, you must have the same attitude as Jesus. Though he was God, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And we're called to be like him. Remember, a calling is, is, is who you're becoming, not what you're doing. We want to become like him. We're called to live a life worthy of our calling. And to do so, we must follow Jesus into humility and into gentleness, viewing ourselves correctly and appropriately viewing other people in their vulnerability or what they need. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The third word here is is one that I just can't stand. It's a challenge for me. It's patience. Patience. The way God knit me together, if my heart and mind decide that something needs to be done, it should have been started five minutes ago, maybe five days ago. I mean, if you're a parent and you've ever told your kids, all right, kids, let's get in the car. I mean, you know your patience is about to go on trial for the whole household to see. Because finally, 20 minutes later, When all the variables of get in the car align, we finally have liftoff and drive five minutes to our next destination. I mean, patience is hard. That's why why traffic is hard. Patience is tough. Being patient with people who bother us, being patient with people who, who disagree with us, come on. Being patient with people is an act of love. It's allowing them space to process. It's allowing room for them to be who, for God to work on their heart. Patience is is legitimate, loving other people in action. Let's read the verse again. Verse 2, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient. And lastly, bearing with one another in love. To bear bear with, to sustain, to endure, to to put up with someone, to tolerate someone. Now, this is not tolerance like our culture claims. Cultural tolerance demands that you agree with them or that you comply with them. But that's not biblical tolerance. Biblical tolerance is in in, in love mean, I endure with somebody even if they bother me, even if they offend me, even if they disagree with my opinion. It does not mean I tolerate abuse, though. I want to be very clear. It doesn't mean you tolerate abuse. If you're being abused, get out and get help. What bear with me does mean is that we bear with one another's differences out of, out of, uh, out of love. That love would be more important than differences of opinion. The, the Greek word here for love is, is of course agape, unconditional, which makes this just such a high calling to live up to. To bear with one another, to bear others burdens in love. And it just astounds me that the, the past six months, it's given us, I mean, it, as a society, it's given us this revealing lesson on this calling. It, 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 is, it is revealed if we are living on our divine calling of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with each other in love. I mean, this past season has revealed and exposed where we are and where we are not living up to it. <clears throat> but not in all the ways that I thought, and maybe not how you think. Let's, let's just put the last six months of our life through the grid of this verse. If we're to live a life worthy of our calling through humility and gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another out of love, let's see how we're doing as a church, as a nation, as a society. Humility, let's be honest. Humility is admitting what we know. And humility is admitting what you don't know. When it comes to to this pandemic, um, there's this huge, spectrum and there's a lot of polarization and both sides have doctors on each side. It's amazing to me. I mean, you've probably watched a video and somebody with medical letters behind their names says this thing, and then somebody else with medical letters after their name says this completely opposite thing. Both sides seem to have facts, and both sides claim to have science, and they both use charts and, and graphs and statistics, and, and both sides are on TV or on YouTube claiming truth, and humility is the ability to say... um. I don't know the full truth. I don't know the full truth. That's humility. But while I don't have a monopoly on the full truth, I do have an opinion on it. And the way I communicate my opinion, well, that's where gentleness comes in. Humility is admitting I don't have the full truth on this stuff, but I do have an opinion. Gentleness is how I communicate that opinion. Are we gentle with our opinions? when discussing all this stuff. Are are we gentle on social media? Out of humility, can can we admit we have an opinion? And out of gentleness, can we speak our opinion without sinning? And then we have patience. Are, Are we patient with people who have a different opinion than ours? Some people think that masks are hurting us. Some think masks are helping us. The Bible doesn't inform me on the truth of COVID. But it does inform me clearly how I treat those who have an opinion that I don't agree with. Like the story about little Sadie on that hike. You know, what you think about a mask is not a biblical issue. Did you catch that? But the way you treat others who disagree with you about masks, that's a biblical issue bearing with one another, enduring the burden with other, especially believers who don't agree with you, bearing the burden of someone else that that puts their comments, their opinions, their posts on you, out there. Again, it's not that you don't have boundaries, but with fellow Jesus followers especially, we are called by heaven to bear with them in love. So perhaps for many of us, the response to today's sermon is, is either to think back or scroll back or both through the past six months to all of our conversations and interactions and put it to the filter of this calling we have it's important to see if we're if we're truly living a life worthy of our calling and the past six months has been such a stress maybe this is a good time to look back and see how we're doing so we can adjust moving on to the next six months six months because here's the truth last month I had to call, I had to actually pick up the phone, not text, not message, I had to pick up the phone and call somebody, call a friend, and I had to apologize to them. Instead of humility, I had been prideful in my opinion. Instead of gentle, I had been harsh in my tone and my text. Instead of patient, I was aggressive. Instead of bearing their burden, instead I burdened them with my callousness. I had to ask them forgiveness. Listen, the past six months, we have to admit, it's been difficult. The stress, the fear, the frustration, the the national politics, the election year, the news media, the, the social media, the wildfires, the ordinances. Let's just stop. Give ourselves and other people some grace because we're under a lot of stress. This has been a really hard season and we each probably need to ask somebody's forgiveness when we put it through this verse. And we probably each need to extend forgiveness to some people because of this verse. I know I did. Because this year, I just want you to know, this year's not gonna get any easier. I believe it's gonna get harder as we get closer to this election, as we get into the winter and so many other things. And and next week, Paul goes into a, a whole, right into a topic that we need right now called unity. So that's next week. Let me read today's verse one last time for you. I wanted to, want to soak in this all week. I want, you to, I want you to take these first two verses of Ephesians 4. I want you to look at your life through this lens because you're called to do this. Let me read this to you. Because of all that Jesus has done for you, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received from heaven. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient with one another, and bear with one another in agape love. Orchard, that's a narrow path for following Jesus. This is a challenging journey of love God, love people. This is where the rubber meets the road. Are we doing this? Is this who we're becoming? Here's the deal. I believe as a church and as a people, we're up for the task. This is hard work. This isn't feel-good stuff. This is adjusting our life to become more like Jesus because based on His Word, which is the truth. So before next week's sermon on unity, I want us to to search ourselves and I want us to to, to do some serious work. I really want us to do this work. Who do you need to forgive because of how this past six months has gone? Who do you need to cut free and for not cut off, cut free and forgive of, of their offense? And who do you need to go to and ask forgiveness from? Because you haven't been patient. You haven't been bearing with them. You have not been gentle. And you haven't been humble. This is good. This is all of our assignment, mine included. We're going to be working on this. One last thing. We are joining together with many other churches in our area. For a prayer initiative, you're gonna hear more about. We're gonna be fasting from September 18th to September 28th and praying for our country. It ends on the Day of Atonement, a Jewish holiday. We'll tell you much more about this, but I want you to get, begin to put this on your calendar. September 18th, September 28th, between those days, we are gonna pray and fast. And we'll talk about what the fast looks like for you, it might be different. Um, But church, we're going to come together, as we're going to look at unity next week, we're going to come together as a church and as churches in this area. I think they said over over, almost 60 churches are coming together to do this. So unity is important right now. And unity is important not only in our church, but with our churches. So Orchard, may you be blessed this week to go forth and live in a manner worthy of the calling of heaven upon your life. May you be blessed to go and love God and love people. And love people, that means humility gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll see you next week. Love God, love people.